0: From ESG scores to free markets, Mike Pence, and all sorts of wonderful other goodness and can do spirit. It's a Truth or Fiction Tuesday here on Critical Thinking. I'm Andrew Coppins. Pat Oni is out. Uh, he's a little bit under the weather due to allergies, so I'm giving him the day off. Um, yesterday we were away. I had an opportunity this weekend to connect with a friend of mine that I haven't seen in gosh, maybe 19, 20 years, um, with him being overseas in the military for the vast majority of that time. And, and, uh, it was an amazing, amazing opportunity. So I couldn't pass it up. And so we took yesterday to travel back to Chicago from my hometown. And, um, a great, great time to just kind of reconnect with some people, some old friends, some new friends, and and everything in between. I hope everyone had a great weekend. But on this Truth or Fiction Tuesday, you know the drill. We're going to give you statements. I've got Pat's statements as well as mine. And then we're going to go through them, whether we believe these to be truth or fiction. And of course, you can always interact. You can follow me at The Cop and Show on Twitter. Um, Instagram is Critical Thinking Show. And of course, the Facebook page as well. But folks, if you guys want to participate in Truth or Fiction Tuesdays, you can. It's just simply use the hashtag Truth or Fiction, and uh, we will take your statements, put them onto the air, and you can interact that way. Do not forget, you can always make sure that you download, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast wherever you'd like to get your podcasts at. And if we're not on that platform, let us know. We'll add it. Of course, you can always watch us every single Monday through Friday when we are here for that entirety on our Rumble page. Rumble.com backslash critical thinking. Again, that is rumble.com backslash critical thinking. And with that, folks, I say we just get in to some critical thinking. All right. As I said, I am flying solo today. Pat is out and. Um, hopefully he's back tomorrow hopefully his allergies and all that stuff calm the hell down and uh, you know it is what it is so flying solo on a truth or fiction Tuesday luckily Pat was able to type out his truth or fiction statements for me and we're going to go through both his and mine and so with that being said why don't we dive right on in we have a ton of interesting thoughts to get to um, some pieces from reason, fee.org and other locations um, that kind of piqued our interest, if you will. So with that, here is my first truth or fiction statement. Truth or fiction. every red state should ban the FBI from their state until it's reformed. Say what? right? what what, what are we talking about here right Banning the FBI? what state is doing that? Well, did you know that the state of Idaho is about to vote on whether or not to ban the FBI and all of its apparatus from the state until it is reformed, uh, significantly reformed? Now, I don't know the the totality of, of that law, if you will, but I'm thinking about this, and this is the idea of nullification of the federal government almost, right? This is the idea that, hey, You're not going to be doing your job and you are politically motivated in the vast majority of what you've decided to prosecute, persecute, everything in between. I think it's very interesting. Let's also consider that this is the home of Ruby Ridge and and there's a whole litany, a whole history between the FBI and really the federal government and individuals that have lived in Idaho for decades now. And I asked myself this, do I believe that this is the route that we need to go down? And short of somebody proving that they're going to come into office and put people into power within the DOJ, within the FBI, within these apparatuses of the uh, alphabet soup of the federal government. Short of showing us that they're going to put people who care about competent law enforcement or competent enforcement of their main objectives and their stated um, role within our federal government, I think this is absolutely the way to go because what are you what are you going to accomplish by doing this? You are picking a fight. you are demanding, hey <clears throat> all right you want to you want to play games? let's play games. And we're going to find out exactly how political you really are. That's what we're going to find out here. And I think that perhaps every red state, every state that looks at this from the perspective of, hang on a second, look at what's happening to Donald Trump. Hang on a second. Look at what's happening with the Hunter Biden situation and everything in between. The Clintons and and the treatment of one side of the political aisle versus the other for the past 30 plus years. I think this is absolutely the way to go. I think we need to expand this. Hey, by the way, CIA, nope. Hey, uh, Department of Homeland Security's NSA, nope. You are not, uh -uh. uh-uh, nope, 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 nope. You are not operating in our space. You are not allowed here. And if we catch you here, you are going to jail. And you're picking a fight on purpose. And I like that. I really really do like the idea of having this political fight. And it's really not just a political fight, it is a cultural fight. Because my my other the other side of the coin here is is what what other mechanism exists simply replacing Christopher Ray with somebody else who could also be politically motivated, right? John Donald Trump said he was going to hire the best, right? Fire James Comey, hire Christopher Wray. How'd that work out? Look at who he picked for his Secretary of State, right? Rex Tillerson. Oops. Look at all these other people he put into positions of power that were supposed to be, quote-unquote, on our side, if you will. Now, me being a little uh, libertarian and a little more on that, that side of things, there ain't nobody that is on that side that got any of those positions. But all of that to say, people that were supposed to be on the side of more states' rights, fewer federal government rights, and most importantly, stopping the political machinations within these organizations. The IRS hasn't changed a bit. The lowest learners, the weaponization that happened under Barack Obama has not changed. It's been swept under the rug by our media. It's been swept under the rug by the DOJ, the FBI. We know this from the IRS whistleblower that has come out. It is one of the most serious accusations about how they have weaponized our government against private citizens that I have ever seen. More importantly, it is the greatest story of political persecution within our government that I have ever witnessed. And here's the reality of this whistleblower testimony. Either it's true Or it's not. Either the whistleblower is lying, or Merrick Garland and everybody else is lying. Let's put the cards on the table and let's be real for a moment. And that's what I believe that this type of a nullification would allow us to do to put the cards on the table once and for all, and we go forward. It's just that simple, for, for me at least, that we, we finally put the cards on the table. Maybe we bring the FBI to the table and say, hey, okay, you, you want to operate? You're going to operate in constitutional guidelines and guideposts. And w- If you violate them, you're done. There are no consequences right now for anything that the FBI has or hasn't done. So I just really struggle, really, really struggle with how else do you accomplish real reform? Now, I would argue that there should be potentially an abolition of the FBI, potentially an abolition of the Department of Homeland Security, and a reformation of some apparatuses, because I do believe that, you know, if you have an immigration policy, you have to have some sort of enforcement of it, right? Right. But how we accomplish that, what the legal immigration process looks like, and how do you enforce people that would attempt to subvert that? Do you give a wide enough carrot and a really, really big stick? Do you hit them with that big stick? You know, I, there's a lot to think through. And I really think that this gives us that opportunity to have that conversation because, wait a minute, I can't operate in. Idaho. I couldn't operate in South Dakota, Iowa, Alabama, Florida, Texas. You, The nullification process here could be the answer, but could it also on the flip side be the thing that tips the scales from a cold cultural civil war to a real cultural civil war? I'm not sure that it would, but the other But the other aspect of this is, is this something that you could enforce in the state of Idaho? And how do you enforce that? Are you literally kicking them out of the FBI offices? Um, How do you know if the CIA is or isn't operating in your state? Wait a minute, the CIA is supposed to be on foreign territory, except we already know that that is not the case. We already know that they're operating here in Violation of their basic duty. We know that they are using private partnerships to subvert the Constitution in violation of all of our constitutional rights because it's inconvenient to what? To getting to what they would like to be able to charge people with or how fast they can build a case. Yeah, guess what? The Constitution is supposed to be an inconvenience to you in law enforcement. That's the reality of that. It is a protection for us from you in the government, not the other way around. And so maybe you've gotten a little too big into your britches here, and it's time for you to, I don't know, go down a size or two. And I think this is a great opportunity for something like this. If a coalition of people could come up with some of these things and 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 say, hey, we're just not going to do this in our state and be gone, it would be an interesting nullification. After all, this is what the left has done largely in our immigration system, right? Sanctuary states and cities and counties and blah, 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 blah. They are just literally saying we're nullifying federal law. Okay, well, we're going to nullify a federal agency and be gone. Let's have that fight. I think it would be interesting. I don't know if it's the correct answer. I have a feeling that it is the only answer that avoids a really deep, dark period in American history. Now, you could argue that we are in a deep, dark period, and that is true, but it ain't the Civil War dark, deep, brutal history. You know, we are tended to look at the American Civil War today through the lens of good guy, bad guy, right? Good guys wearing the uniform of the Union, and then bad guys wearing the uniform of the Confederacy. We don't understand it's brother versus brother, it's family versus family. We don't necessarily understand the devastation to this country that took place during the Civil War. Was it a necessary moment in our history? Probably, right? So the question now becomes, is this also a different but equally necessary moment in our history in which we get even deeper, darker, and do something about where we are culturally, physically, spiritually, governmental-wise? I think these are questions we need to answer. I really do. And with that, let's go to Pat's first truth or fiction Truth or fiction, Culture wars are weakening our financial systems. Again, cultural wars are weakening our financial systems. Now, this comes from an article in Reason, and I'm going to read you a little bit of this article because I think it's important for us to understand where this comes from before I answer this truth or fiction-wise. So, this is the article in Reason. It says, don't let culture wars weaken the financial system by Stephen Greenhunt. In California, officials are pushing pension funds to divest from fossil fuels, firearms, manufacturers, and tobacco companies. Red states are retaliating. This is madness. He continues to say to us that, um, he says here, watching people self-destruct on social media over piffle has a certain entertainment value. But politicians on the right and left are taking these battles onto a broader stage where the economic damage could be more lasting. The latest alphabet soup battle involves something known as ESG. It stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance and points to a set of socially conscious governance criteria. As TechTarget explains, ESG is a, quote, "...framework used to assess an organization's business practices and performance on various sustainability and ethical issues." and, quote, provides a way to measure business risks and opportunities, unquote. It's a way for corporations to evaluate their policies. Are they investing in things that help the environment, instituting fair employment practices, and embracing corporate transparency? So, again, the truth or fiction here is, culture wars are weakening our financial systems. I'm just going to come out and say it. No. No, they're not weakening our financial systems. Furthermore, for uh, Stephen Greenhunt and others, you don't even understand what ESG really actually is. First of all, it doesn't stand for environmental, social, and governance. It stands for environmental, social, governance. It stands for Environmental social governance. It's not three separate things. It's all of them being equal, if you will. It's all of them in combination working together within a corporation. It also is not just a framework used to assess an organization's business practices and performance on various sustainability and ethical issues. No, it's not. No, it's not. They are literally shoving environmentalism down the corporation's throat. They are looking at DEI. They are looking at all of the crazy woke information and asking us to to take care of it and do it. And then, third and foremost in all of this, they are also looking at this from the perspective of how does corporate governance work with that environmental and social? It is a score that they give to corporations. And oh, by the way, the BlackRocks, the Vanguards, all these big, huge, massive investment firms demand adherence to ESG scores in order for them to invest their multi-billions of dollars into their companies. ESG. This author does not even understand ESG, but this author also continues to tell us further in this article, quote, they're also directing vast government investments into companies that match their political aims, alternative energy, recycling, etc. And this, and the they in this is California and other states but might not yield the best bang for the buck. The California Public Employees Retirement System, CalPERS, has a whopping $440 billion in assets. So the temptation is strong to starve capital from, quote-unquote, bad industries and energize, quote-unquote, good ones. This has triggered a backlash in red states, which have passed laws that forbid state business with investment firms that divest in the ways that democratic states prefer. Texas has taken that approach and, according to one study, could cost the state billions of dollars in higher borrowing costs. Both sides are putting cultural preferences above their fiduciary responsibilities. Now, this is where I do agree with them that there is a fiduciary duty. But my question to Stephen Greenhunt and others of this ilk is There the fiduciary duty, take whatever amount of money comes your way, damn the societal consequences, damn the fact that they are attempting to push absolute leftist socialism into the corporate boardroom. Let me ask this a different way. If the, let's say, Nazi party were the people behind this. Would it be the fiduciary duty to say, yeah, well, guess what? Yeah, they're a bunch of really bad people and we don't like what they're doing to the Jewish people, but overall, you know, they're offering us the the biggest bang for our buck, so we go there. No. No. And more no. The other the other side of the fiduciary duty coin is that you do have a responsibility to be responsible in your investments. And if those investments mean that you have to give up free market principles or pure capitalism or pure free markets or capitalism for adherence to some political agenda, of investment firms, you are still also, I can argue, shirking your fiduciary duty. Now, if your goal is, yes, we are a quote unquote political pension fund, For instance, if this is the teachers union, or if this is the Teamsters, or a a, a 401k that is directly advertised for woke people, their fiduciary duty would be to do what? You are correct that it would be to invest in those types of businesses and to To demand or to put on to boards people who have their belief system and would want their belief system in place. See, what Stephen Greenhunt doesn't understand and what other people like him don't understand is that, yes, in an ideal world, everybody, every corporation would be politically neutral. Every boardroom would not be the, the epicenter of cultural Marxism and the culture war, whatever have you, right? Let's go back to business being business, and it's about dollars and cents, not red versus blue, woke versus spiritual, blah, 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 right? Whatever battlefield you want to pick. I would love to go back to those days, but here's the reality. BlackRock, Vanguard, others, are not going back to that reality. Oh, sure. By the way, this weekend, we got BlackRock's CEO telling us that they no longer use the term ESG and some on the right cheered wildly. See, we're winning. No, you're actually not winning. Because hidden in that statement is this fact that they believe that it is a poison pill to use the term ESG. All they're doing is changing the language. They are not changing their philosophy. They are not changing what they demand of corporate boardrooms that they invest in. So the answer here is what people like Vivis Ramaswamy or Vivek Ramaswamy and others have done. Create alternative funds that fight this type of stuff in the boardroom. Now, if you are Florida, if you are other states, how else are you supposed to? Are you supposed to, if you believe this to be poison to our society, if you believe that this is not just bad for economics, it's also bad for our society, are you just supposed to cut off your nose to spite your face? No. Hear me out on this. If you believe this is equally bad for economics, do you take a temporary hit to gain something long term? Is that also not a fiduciary or fiduciary, uh, responsible fiduciary duty? Absolutely. And I would know this. I have massive fiduciary duties in my business, massive amounts of it. And it's taken very seriously. Yes, they do have a fiduciary duty. But he continues saying this further into the article. The answer is to call a truce. States should enact, quote, "clear clear fiduciary duty laws that define who is responsible for state investment, unquote and allow them to use ESG factors only if they promise to yield better financial results, according to a Harvard Law School forum piece by Oxford University business professor Robert Eccles and Eli Lehrer, president of the R Street Institute, the think tank where this article uh, author Stephen Greenhunt works. The obvious and important goal is to, quote, insulate pension funds, other investments, and public contracts from political concerns, of course, trying to convince politicians to limit their political influence and financial decisions is no easy feat, but there's too much financial risk to, n- to let these bitter cultural battles spread from the grocery store shelves to Wall Street. While that might be the pie in the sky thought process and attitude, that doesn't deal with reality because reality is you cannot go to most major corporations in America's boardrooms and not find this. So what do you do about it? The answer is to say what Florida has said, we have we are taking our money, and if you are an investment firm that that pushes ESG, if you are an investment firm that pushes this cultural poison, this societal poison, and most importantly, and you can prove this, economic poison, this isn't about short-term gains. This is about the long-term stability. Guys, folks, if we go down the road of pure ass ESG, if we go down this road, our country and it its capitalistic nature is done. That pension fund in Florida or in California or in Texas or in Illinois or wherever won't exist anymore. Period. So my question to Stephen Greenhunt would be, what is your preference? Short term? Well, we just need to call a truce or the long game in which we say no more of this. Let's get back to those principles that you want. But we are doing this by the force of law because it is the only weapon we have to fight with right now. If somebody is threatening to kill you, do you just allow it to happen? Or do you use whatever weapons, whatever apparatuses, whatever um, you have at your disposal to fight the fight? Because here's the reality. There is a fight in front of us. So to the Stephen Green hunts, to the people like that, you have you don't know what time it is. You don't understand the economic fight. You don't understand what is at stake. These people want to fundamentally transform corporations from corporations to subsidiaries of our government private public partnership right you are going to advocate against that but you're saying hey, hey hey guys we can't we we can't be involved in saying no thank you to that we we can't we can't demand that uh, private business just does business based off of what's best for business anymore. We we can't demand that. Who are we to say, hey, 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 this is the reality of the fight. So what is Florida saying? They want economically or societally neutral businesses to invest in or take um, wealth funds or whatever, you know, hedge funds or whatever that they are going to put their money into that are just economically based. They are literally telling the world exactly what you want. They are taking their money, their pension funds, and saying, we are not playing politics anymore. We are going to take the money and invest it elsewhere. And that elsewhere is places that place profit over politics. That's exactly what they're doing. What what else would you like them to do? I, I don't know. All right. With that having been said, I think it is a good time to also talk about free markets because I've got a truth or fiction from you that also comes from reason. Truth or fiction, Team GOP knows what the free market is this time around. That's right. Truth or fiction, Team GOP knows what the free market is this time around. All right, so this actually comes from a another um, article written in Reason, and this is a guest article, the very first one ever, from former Vice President Mike Pence. See, confidence in market principles. Why are some Republicans turning their backs on the free market principles we've advocated for for generations? In writing in Reason, Mike Pence says the following. Ronald Reagan wisely observed in his first inaugural address, Government is not the solution to our problems, government is the problem. Yet today, some conservatives are losing confidence in themselves, our movement, and our fellow Americans, and are instead looking to government to be the solution to problems in the free market. This stunning about-face is of great concern to traditional conservatives like me who remain unabashed advocates of the free market the greatest engine for prosperity in human history. Free markets have done more than any other system to raise standards of living, generate broad-based wealth, super technological innovation, cure debilitating illness, and improve quality of life for billions of people around the globe. The entirety of American history proves that the free market, not government, has the ultimate power to shape society for the better. Um... All of that is nice, Mike Pence, and so I'm going to answer this uh, this way. This, This one is absolute fiction. Team GOP does not know what the free market really is, and nor do they actually want to practice the free market. So ironically here, we just got done talking about governments demanding that free market principles be in place for their, the wealth funds or the hedge funds or whomever they're investing their, their pension funds and other things with, right? Again, that's the government demanding neutrality, political neutrality, from where they invest their money. Do they have the right to do that? Absolutely, they do, because it is the pension fund, right? It's the taxpayer dollar. I would argue that is the proper judiciary duty to be performed. Show me how you can gain a return and be politically neutral. Not demanding fealty to one side or the other. But folks, this is coming from Mike Pence. And Donald Trump, whom did what to this country during COVID-19? Well, we, we have to abandon the free market, right, George W. Bush? Abandon the free market to save the free market. See, we we had to abandon the free market. We had to abandon capitalism in order for us to save our society from this deadly disease known as COVID-19. <laughs> never, never mind the fact that, like I told you from the very get-go, this was likely to end up at somewhere between the normal flu season and a really bad flu season. Because guess what? Less than 0.03% of people under the age of 65 were passing away from COVID 19, which is just a really bad flu season. Yet, you abandon at every turn of the coin the free market, and you were there for both times in which you had the opportunity to say, no, we're going to allow the free market to flourish. We are going to allow people to live their lives the way that they deem necessary, taking into consideration health concerns, taking into consideration everything else, and we're going to allow the market to work. In fact, the greatest example of this is what you did with Pfizer and Moderna, Johnson & Johnson and everybody else in Operation Warp Speed. You give preferential treatment to certain groups. In fact, you gave them blanket freaking immunity in which I would argue doesn't stand up in court right now or won't to create a new vaccine. How'd that work out? How did that work out? Folks, not only that, but Mike Pence doesn't believe in the free market. Team GOP does not believe in real free market economics because they believe in tariffs. They believe in not free trade unequal trade. They don't believe in individuals being able to freely and openly transact as they wish, free from the government. They don't believe in any of that. It's why we watch them tax this and do that and and advocate for this tariff and that tax and this and that. No. Also, it it is not seen in our immigration policy in which, hey, by the way, if if a company believes that this person is the best person for the job, it should be very simple to bring them here and to do the work. Very simple. Or vice versa, to be able to hire them where they live. We don't do that very well. It is a very difficult process. Well, that, that would hurt the American worker. Not necessarily. This protectionism, this economic protectionism that exists within the Mike Pence world of Team GOP is a very real part of this. When they say the free market, it is a buzzword, just like ESG and other things. While they might actually want to practice those things, they don't really, most people don't really know what they are talking about. They've heard the words, they're going to use the terms because it sounds good, right? I firmly believe Mike Pence is the Kamala Harris of Team GOP. That's the reality of this. He is saying it, and he does not believe it. He believes in capitalism to some degree, but he doesn't believe in true free market economics, and that is the ultimate reality here. All right, so we also have this from Pat. Pat the key to recovering from the COVID years is a can-do spirit, truth or fiction. The key to recovering from the COVID years is a can-do spirit. And this one comes from fee.org. And it's uh, Lawrence Reed, one of my absolute favorite thinkers um, economically. And I will say this, um, I absolutely believe that this is truth we have been beaten down and beaten down from both sides, from our media, from everywhere else to believe that everything is negative. Everything is horrible, awful, terrible. You know, we're entering Great Depression territory, blah, 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 blah. But I want you to understand that, yes, the Great Depression was very depressing. It was very hard. It was very difficult. But what came out of the Great Depression was the greatest generation and why? It's because hidden amongst all of those things was people scratching and clawing and doing whatever they could and would be able to do to provide for their families, to live, period, point blank. You know, if you have an opportunity to speak to your grandparents or some great-grandparents out there, people who were alive during that Great Depression period, ask them what they, what their attitude was. Was it an attitude of gratitude? Was it an attitude of depression? Was it an attitude of of just pure despair? There were times of that, no doubt. But one of the greatest parts of the American experiment has been our ability to innovate, our ability to kind of come out of difficult times ahead. And that only happens when you have that can-do spirit. And I just want to read the article here because I think it goes this way. So he notes, A bad attitude manifests in multiple forms, arrogance, dishonesty, a sense of entitlement, a thirst for power, laziness, pessimism, and negativity, cheerlessness, jealousy, defeatism, disrespect for other people's rights, choices, and property. After three years of destructive COVID policies— From lockdowns to mask mandates, some are finding it challenging to get their engines going again. He is 1000% correct. There are a thousand, thousands, 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 if not millions of Americans who are exactly in this spot. And he goes on to say, let's not trivialize any of this, but at the same time, let's note that a bad attitude is a hindrance to recovery and progress. He also gives us a poem from 1905 titled Thinking by Walter Wintle and i want you to hear this poem if you think you are beaten you are if you dare not you don't if you'd like to win but think you can't it's almost a cert a cinch you won't if you think you'll lose you're lost for out in the world we find it begins with a fellow's will it's all in the state of mind if you think you're outclassed you are you've got to think high to rise you've got to be sure of yourself before you can even win a prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the man who wins is the one who thinks he can. And while that might see, seem very simplistic, that is the reality. You know, as as we talk about in the real estate industry, Mondays are con, kind of motivational Mondays, and for a lot of people. And there's a lot of daily affirmation and stuff like that. And it's why, because you need that can-do attitude, that spirit of, hey, I can do it. And I want to read the rest of the article because this is very important from Lawrence Reed again at fee.org. Americans have been body slammed before, but we've always bounced back. The agony of the pandemic is Sunday school compared to the hardships of Valley Forge, the crucible of the Civil War, the injustices of slavery and Jim Crow the heartbreak of the Great Depression, or the uh, existential threat of World War II. Even some past health crises were proportionally worse than COVID. The 1793 yellow fever epidemic claimed about 10% of the citizens of Philadelphia and forced President Washington and his cabinet to move to nearby Germantown. The Spanish flu of 1918 and 1919 killed half a million Americans when the country's population was less than a third of today. Many COVID measures were clearly counterproductive and even deadly. Progressive governors in New York, Michigan, Illinois, and New Jersey forcing nursing homes to accept COVID-19 patients is Exhibit A. We must learn from the experience and insist that nothing like it happens again. What we traditionally refer to as a can-do spirit, so vital to the country's past success, must be front and center again. Its magic is evidence of personal character, as well as the political and economic liberty in which we can put that character to work. Nations that suppress the can-do spirit are plagued with endless, intractable problems from poverty to poor health to lousy government. If you think things are tough here, take inspiration from courageous Ukrainians. They are taking the can-do spirit to the next level, will do, under the most difficult of situations. To walk away from any challenge would be an unthinkable forsaking of our ancestors who bequeathed us so much. It would likely make many problems worse for us as well. No matter the obstacles, we have no good reason to ever give up on the future. Pessimism is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And folks, this is why Pat and I have talked about this idea, this concept of reviving liberty. Because we can do it. Because we must do it because we will do it, or we face an alternative in which this country goes the way of the Roman Empire, goes the way of some of the greatest civilizations in our known history, goes bye-bye. So, are you willing to do? Can you do something? Absolutely, and we've given you that roadmap to reviving liberty for yourself, for your family, for your community, but we concentrate on you first. We want to concentrate on, on your family second and your community, and it is no coincidence that during COVID-19, we watched as many as, many as I believe, 20% of Catholics never return to the pews after covid-19 we watched as about 13 to 14% of people who were going to church in the totality of christianity not returning to the pews that along with all of the declining identification as christian in this country right what does that bode to a spirit of despair desperation what is the fulfillment in your life restore god first Restore that in your life and see what happens with your attitude and your spirit. And I think this is a great reminder to Pat and I that not, it is so easy to get caught up in the Hunter Biden stories and the the political persecution stories and, and the, did you see this and did you see that to also not recognize that we have a duty to uplift each other. We have a duty to be responsible to each other. So when I take a look at that I really really hope that we all understand the responsibility to look internally and stop with the despair stop with the de- the the depression and work on an attitude that we can do whether that's the smallest thing whether that's hey you know what I'm going to I'm going to do this I am going to create one new habit in my life, whether that's, hey, every Sunday I'm going to church and I'm going to dedicate myself to that, you'll find out that you really turn that spirit around quick. And not just in, in Christianity or Judaism or whatever religion. Not I'm not talking about <clears throat> turning that spirit around. I'm talking about your own internal spirit. Watch what happens to your attitude. Is it an attitude of gratitude? Is it an attitude of despair, depression? Look, it can be really difficult in, in a world like real estate, where things ebb and flow all the time. Man, I don't know if I can make it. Well, that's a defeatist attitude, and you can't have that. Otherwise, you won't make it. And that's where that reliance on your faith, your family, your attitude matters. And we have to get back there. We have to understand that, oh yeah, we can overcome anything because we have an entire generation that may may academically be lost, socially be a little lost, but if we give them the right tools to change attitude, to say, I can do, because that's really what happened with the greatest generations, that they figured out that they can do anything that they want. They can win not a front, but two fronts of war across the globe that they can build and rebuild, that they can go through anything and come out the other side. And we don't know if we can do that right now because we live in these times that we do of cultural war, of, you know, everything at our fingertips and everything is a crisis every single day, right? Let's take a step back. Let's look at the steps that we laid out in Reviving Liberty And let's get right with God. Let's know our principles. Let's get in with some of these things that we, hey, we can do this. We could, I can create good habits and and good things in my life and look at some of the positives and bring positivity. This isn't like your, you know, transcendental meditation or new age religion. No, no, no. Positivity is a self-fulfilling situation in which hey, you know what? God fills me with good spirit. God fills me with good things in my life. And let's take the small victories and build into bigger and bigger, bigger victories, which, which God is giving me joy, even in the smallest of things. Let's start there. And with that, folks, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Until next time, please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals today. And as always, Matthew 547.